You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue lucid, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all of their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel." Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do look to you and we ask, O oh Father, that you be pleased to teach us this morning, Father, that you be pleased to lead us and guide us into your truth. And Father, we pray in full acknowledgement that we're left to ourselves. There'd be no eternal value to this exercise whatsoever. But Father, we are of good cheer this morning, for we know we are not left to ourselves, but it is your good pleasure to reveal these things to your children. And Father, we pray that you would be pleased, O Lord, to show us wondrous things from your word. And that, Father, we would receive encouragement, we would receive discipline if we need it, or rebuke if we need it. Whatever it is that we need, O Father, we ask from your hand that we would be made more like Christ, O Lord, that we would glorify you with our lives. And it's for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Well, we continue in our our season of Advent, what the church has historically called the season of Advent, which is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas time. And this year, our approach has been really to approach it through the songs that we have in Scripture. There are many, many songs in Scripture. And we began with Psalm 138, which is a prayer, a, a song, if you will, a psalm. And we began with a high note of thanksgiving, and it's our intentions to return to that when it's done so that Psalm 138 becomes brackets to what we are doing this year. 
and uh, we're looking at the songs that we have in Luke's gospel. And last week, we took a look at uh, what's uh, often called the Magnificat or Magnificat. There's a lot of different ways to pronounce that. Don't worry about getting it right or getting it wrong. Crick, creek, tomato, tomato. Um, sometimes you'll find folks that'll want to correct you and say, no, that's not the right pronunciation. Um, blah to that. Right, Harry? Blah to that. Um, it, it's named after the first Latin word in verse 46, uh, at least the first Latin word in Mary's address, and it simply means magnify. It's just Latin for magnify. And I brought something to the, uh, to the table last week that I think is really fascinating. Uh, a few scholars have likened these songs to what we call in music an area, A-R-I-A. Some of you remember that last week. Not, not area like an area on your desk but an A-R-I-A, and an area like in a musical. I think the musical gives us the best illustration. If you think of a musical, you've got these actors and actresses which are communicating a narrative to their audience. And after so many scenes, once they've communicated so far, then written into the musical is a solo piece. And the, the, um, the, the design behind the solo is to allow a soloist, whether he or she, to come out onto the stage in order to then begin uh, communicating the significance of the narrative that has been developed. I think that's really an interesting way of looking at this because we find that the narrative stops in verse 38, and then from verse 39 through 56, we have Mary by herself, and what is she doing? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, she's communicating the significance of the events that have transpired, namely with the Annunciation, another old word from uh, church history, the Annunciation that she would be with child uh, by uh, the angel Gabriel. And then after verse 56, we find the narrative begins once again in verses 57. And then when we get to verse 68, the narrative will again stop and we'll have another song, uh, which we're going to be looking at uh, this morning and throughout church history, it's been known as the Benedictus or Benedictus. Again, don't worry about the pronunciation. It's named after the first Latin word uh, in verse 68. In our English, it's blessed be the Lord God of Israel. In Latin, it starts with Benedictus. Benedictus, I think it's Benedictus Dominus Deus Israel is the actual line, and pardon my Latin pronunciation. I've never studied Latin, and I don't want to give you the impression that I have, because I haven't. Um, but Benedictus is uh, how you'll hear. You'll hear musicals. You'll hear songs uh, uh, from antiquity written uh, around that word, and that's what we want to look at this morning. Now, when you look at verse 57, uh, there you see we have another time frame like we had in verse 39. Verse 39, we had in those days, and we saw that it was in the days of this annunciation, if you will. Now in verse 57, we're approximately three months into the future from verse 39, and we're told there that the time has come for Elizabeth to give birth. And this reminds the reader of, of Luke's gospel of what has transpired at the beginning. If you look back to verse 11, there you find Zechariah in the temple performing his priestly duty, and there he's confronted with an angel uh, who later identifies himself as Gabriel. 
And Gabriel appears to him. Zechariah, of course, is full of fear at the sight of this holy being. The angel comforts him in verse 13, says, do not be afraid. He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is not an average day, is it? Not an average day at the workplace. And how does Zechariah respond to this? That's verse 18. He says to Gabriel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He responds with doubt, doesn't he? And we've already been told in the narrative, we've already been told that Elizabeth Elizabeth is elderly and she's never been able to have children. Uh, How much less so could she possibly have children now, Zechariah's reasoning. And he's doubting the word that Gabriel has brought him. And how does Gabriel respond? Verse 19, Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Okay, Zechariah, you want a sign. He gets a sign in verse 20. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be filled in their time. Zechariah receives a sign, but it's a punitive sign. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a disciplinary sign in many respects, isn't it? And imagine not being able to speak for nine months. And we've got good reason to believe, as we'll see in verse 62, that uh, Zechariah is unable to hear as well. Not only does he lose his ability to speak, but he loses his ability to hear. So it goes silent for uh, probably a little better than nine months. And that brings us to verse 57. And here we see the time comes for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And in verse 58, Gabriel's words are coming true. Uh, Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to Elizabeth, and they rejoiced with her. Now, you'll know from verses 24 and 25 that initially Elizabeth, she, she hides herself up. You know, Elizabeth has walked, you know, to the ancients to not be able to have children. Is, this, this was a, a terrible thing to one of the great fears of any woman in this time was that she would not be able to bear children. They rightfully understood they rightfully understood that children are a blessing from the Lord, but where they took a misstep was uh, when a woman was unable to have children, they assumed, like Job's friends, that it must be because of some particular sin that they had committed. And that's where they took a misstep. Now, you can imagine the scorn, and, and Elizabeth refers to it as her reproach. You know, verse 25, she says, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, referring to her conception of John, who he's taken away my reproach from the people. And she hides herself away for about five months, you know, probably until it's really obvious that she's pregnant. And these kinds of things can't be kept in secret forever. The neighbors find out, the relatives find out, she gives birth to a son, and here they are rejoicing with her, just as Gabriel had said, In verse 14, in verse 14, he says, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And we see that taking place 
in verse um, 58. And on verse, in verse 59, it's the eighth day, and they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother said, no, he shall be called John. And here's something, it's easy to, it's easy to go right past this and, and miss this, but here we see as much joy as there is and as wonderful it is to have all these people around and rejoicing, they're kind of being pushy, aren't they? They're taking a prerogative. They're, oh, he's, his name's got to be Zechariah. Well, please, Elizabeth, don't tell me you're going to name him anything else. His name's going to be Zechariah. She says, no, his name is John. Well, then they go, to, they go right around her, don't they? <laughs> they, go, they go right around her. You can see it's, how pushy they're being, and you can, you can almost feel the peer pressure there on behalf of, of Elizabeth. And um, they, they go to uh, Zechariah in verse 62. They make signs. First of all, they, they object in verse 61. None of your relatives is called by this name. They make signs to Zechariah, which seems to suggest he can't hear. They make signs to Zechariah inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And, and what Zechariah do in verse 63? He asks for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. I don't know really why the ESV translates it that way because it's more forceful in the original. In the original, it's reversed. It's John is his name. I'm really puzzled why the ESV, which usually follows so closely here, um, you, can, you can hear that's more forceful, isn't it? John is his name. That's literally what Zechariah says. John is his name. And why does Zechariah say that? Because he's already been called John. If you look back to the earlier part, if you look back to Gabriel's announcement in verse 13, he says, Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So here, you know, we get a lesson here about standing up to uh, peer pressure, even when it's a group of friends who are with you and really cheering you on and, and sharing in your joy. Um, we see that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they stand up to it and they say, no, his name is John. And notice as soon as, as, soon as Zechariah writes this on his tablet, verse 64, notice the word immediately. Immediately his mouth is open and his tongue is loose and he spoke. And after nine months of silence and presumably not being able to hear a thing, what's the first thing that comes out of his mouth? He blesses God. And at the beginning here, we, here's the beginning of a, of a use of a family of words. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you these words, and I'm giving them to you because you're going to recognize them. Uh, the verb is uh, eulageo. The, the adjective is eulageitos, and the noun is eulagia. And you might say eulagia. That sounds familiar. Yes, eulagia, eulagy. Uh, we use the word eulogy. A eulogy is a, a, a word of commendation, if you will, uh, that's used at a funeral service, for example, uh, when we're commending uh, the life and celebrating the life of the departed. Uh, we give a eulogy or a eulogy. And the, the uh, adjective simply means blessed, if you will. The noun means to bless. And here we find Zechariah blessing God. He is, his, the, the, as soon as his mouth is open, what is he doing? He is blessing and praising God. 
which is uh, really astounding. And we're told at this moment in verse 65 that fear came on all the neighbors. Fear results. And what kind of fear is this? It's the fear, it's, it's an awe-like fear, if you will. Awe came over them. You know, on Friday night, it was really wonderful. I had a couple of conversations with some of our guests and they were approaching me and saying, oh, you've done such a wonderful job on this tonight. And they're, they're telling me all the things that I've done. And I told him, I said, listen, I, I had very little to do with any of this. I have really purposely backed out of this thing. I've really very purposely backed up just to allow the Lord to exercise his gifts. I, my, I intend to help clean this, clean this place up when we're done. But for the most part, these are the gifts that the Lord has has brought to this congregation. I'm in the middle of 90% of what goes on here. This is part of the 10% that I really choose to back out on. And we have always prayed, and this is what I shared with a couple of our visitors, we have always prayed that the Lord would build this community, that he would build this church in such a way that everybody who's watching would be able to clearly see that this is God's doing. And I think I shared that two, maybe three times on Friday, and every time I shared it, I really got I really got a blessing out of sharing it, and I had a sense that they were getting a blessing as well. Why? Because this is a God thing, isn't it? And I think that's what's going on here in this verse. That's what we want. Uh, we want this community to be built in such a way where it's just, it's just obvious. It's just obvious. God's doing it. It's his church that he has promised to build, isn't it? And that's the way we want it, isn't it? And the good news is that's the way it's happening too, isn't it? Uh, Friday was truly, truly wonderful, you know, for Tammy and I to come and just watch all this, to see all of the wonderful gifts and talents that are here. Um, everybody um, just jumping in. It's, it's truly amazing. It's truly wonderful. And as you, in your mind, you review, going all the way back to this, this little Bible study in our living room or a little campfire in the backyard to where it is now is really, truly wonderful. Um, it really should never have made it. Most of these things fail, you know. But God's been in it. Or it would have failed like so many others. Praise be to God. Amen. Now, um, in the end of verse 66, they're not only full of awe, but they're asking, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice how much um, language is being used here in regards to the Holy Spirit. And let's not forget, this is following about 400 years of prophetic silence. And here we see that Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit as his son was filled with the Holy Spirit from uh, the womb as Elizabeth has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is guiding Mary. So here we're, we're seeing this work of the Holy Spirit and Zechariah in verse 67 prophesies. And what's interesting about this is where Mary's song resembles the Psalms, if you will, so much. And as Graham uh, Scroggie has has um, uh, has observed that in Mary's song, we see the psalmist and the Christian hymnologist meeting together. That's an interesting observation, isn't it? Uh, here with Zechariah, we see the Old Testament prophet meeting 
uh, with the New Testament prophet, if you will. Uh, he prophesies in the Benedictus, uh, Zechariah's song, if you will, very much resembles Old Testament prophecy in so many ways, doesn't it? He prophesies, verse 68, and what does he say? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Here he's using this word blessed, and this is part of that family of words that I just told you about. He's praising God. Uh, he's praising God. And he says in verse 68, for he has visited. He has visited. That's an interesting term. I've used it numerous times already this morning. I don't know if anybody noticed. Uh, but this word visited, if you will, is an interesting word. We encounter it throughout the Old Testament here and there. And I think probably uh, in terms of the uh, Old Testament, one of the ways where it's uh, uh, most prominent is a way that we're going to be studying in our, in our uh, study of Exodus, where God visits the people of Israel and delivers them out of Egypt. Uh, it's a visitation. Uh, but also we're told that at times God visits people to discipline. Other times God visits people to uh, visits in judgment. So we have this divine visitation, if you will, and here Zechariah is drawing attention to the fact that the Lord God of Israel has visited his people. And we can think, well, yes, he's visited them by way of Gabriel making these announcements. He's visiting them by the way of these miraculous conceptions, um, Elizabeth first and then Mary uh, second. And he's visiting them by the work of his Holy Spirit. But by far, all of these visitations find the supreme visitation that we have in Christ Jesus. If you keep your place in Luke chapter 1 and you look to a well-known passage in Luke 19, Luke 19, Jesus uses an interesting word while you're turning there. Luke 19, verses 41 through 44 uh, there, it's, it's Palm Sunday. Jesus is descending down the Mount of Olives. We're told that as he draws near to Jerusalem, he weeps over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And verse 44, Tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your what? Your visitation. Your visitation. God visits us in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to point out a couple of things. Notice that Zechariah, he's well into his song and it's not his son, it's, it, 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 the praise that he's giving forth first here is not, his, is not over John the Baptist, but it's over Jesus, isn't it? How do we know that? Well, because look what he says. He has raised up a horn of salvation. A horn of salvation, interesting phrase, horn. You know, think of a rhinoceros and that horn on the end of a, a rhinoceros. If you think of a, a rhinoceros charging and the great strength and power and mass of that charge and that horn, it's a metaphor of power and strength. So uh, we, could, we could loosely paraphrase this uh, with the word mighty. He has raised up a mighty salvation. We could even go one step further and say he's raised up a mighty savior a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David. Very clearly speaking of Jesus, not John the Baptist. John the Baptist is from the house of Levi. Jesus is from the house of David. 
So, John, so what Zechariah, he, he's, he's, not, he's not doting over his son here in the beginning of this, is he? No, his prophecy is Christ-centered. His prophecy is God-centered. And he says in verse 70, as, as God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. Here he's drawing back on the Abrahamic covenant and showing us the continuity between the Abraham covenant and the things that are happening now. There's a lot here. We could, spend the, we could spend the rest of the time that we have between now and Christmas simply in these verses. I know I'm going over it pretty quickly, um, but notice in verse 34, he says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, what's, what's the point that I really want to bring forward this morning? This, this morning, I was thinking about the introduction, and I was thinking about giving you this single point at the beginning of uh, the message this morning, and I, I, I thought, no, let's do it inductively. Let's work on it ourselves. Let's work on it ourselves. But the point I really want to make is a really simple point. If you look at verse 68, God has visited us and redeemed us. He has visited us. And redeemed us that we might, verse 44, serve him. Do you see that? The point that I want to make this morning and the title of this morning's message is real simple. Redeemed to serve. Redeemed to serve. And I want to beat on that drum because we don't hear a lot about that, do we? We have been redeemed to serve. And I think that's something we need to start making a lot of noise about. We have been redeemed, if you will, to serve, and not just to serve, but to serve in holiness, righteousness before him all our days. And then in verse 76 through 79, we get an example of what this looks like. Because in verse 76, Zechariah finally now turns his attention to his son. It's quite amazing. His son has just been born. We would almost think it'd be perfectly natural for him to begin with his son. He's waited all his life for this son. He never thought he would ever hold his own son. And here he is holding his son. Here he is coddling his son. And he spends the majority of his time centered on Christ, doesn't he? And he's speaking about the fact under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how God has visited us. He has redeemed us if you will, so that we might serve him, if you will, in holiness and righteousness. And then he points to his son and says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. John has been redeemed, has he not? He's been filled with the uh, Holy Spirit from his uh, mother's womb, which is a pr we pray this way all the time for our children here, don't we? You hear me pray, and what I love is sometimes I hear you pray the same way, uh, is that they would never know a day where they didn't know Jesus. May they never know a day where they didn't know Jesus. John the Baptist never knows a day where he doesn't love the Lord God because he's been filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. What a wonderful thing. He has been redeemed. He has been redeemed to serve 
you, child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This is his call. This is how he will serve. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and then shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. He's going to serve in this unique way. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, isn't he? But we've been called in a similar way, have we not? I mean, after all, what was Friday night all about? What were we trying to do Friday night? Just trying to bless the community with a little bit of light. And Lord's hand was so in it. You know, there was a family from East Palestine with us. And, and the reason they came, a Christian, wonderful Christian family. I don't know if you got a chance to talk to them. I got a chance to talk with her a little bit. And what a wonderful story. They, they belonged to a church in Salem, and they saw the Facebook advertisement, and they thought, this looks like a good Christian night out. I think we're going to go check this out. That's why they came. And as we began to talk, and that was one of the conversations that I had, that we've always prayed that the Lord would build this church in, a, in such a way that it would be obvious that it's his hand doing the building. And, and she was blessed by that and resonated uh, with that. Uh, and, and we were just basically talking how we just want to bless our community and be used to reflect a little bit of light into the community. Can you see the resemblance of what we were doing Friday night with what John the Baptist is called to do? We've been redeemed for this purpose, that we might reflect this light, uh, that we might show forth this light. After that, it's in, the God, it's in God's hands, isn't it? It's in God's hands. We have been redeemed to serve. Notice in verse 76, the prognosis that's given of the unbelieving heart there. You know, to give light of those who sit in darkness. Not just darkness, but in the shadow of death. That's, that's a grim statement, isn't it? it? You know, it's sometimes said it doesn't take a whole lot of light. When everything is pitch black, it doesn't take a whole lot of light to shine. You've heard that before, haven't you? Such a true statement. When there's not a lot of light around, it doesn't take a lot of light to shine. Boy, there was a lot of light here Friday night. There really was a lot of light. And we need to pray that the Lord will continue to give the increase. But the message that I'm trying to bring this morning is that we've been redeemed for this purpose. We've been redeemed to serve. Amen? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Father. Um, we thank you, Father, that, Lord, you have, you could have simply redeemed us and brought us to heaven. You could have simply just redeemed us and continued to go on this work without us. But, Father, you've given us such a wonderful privilege, whereas you've redeemed us, O oh Lord, for the privilege of serving you. Well, Father, I pray that, especially as we go into 2023, that, Father, we'll make a lot of noise about that that we're, we're called to serve. And what a glorious privilege, Father. You know, we, our hearts are very warm in regards to Friday night. It really was such a blessed time. And, Father, that's, that's one occasion throughout the year. We hope to do it again. If you permit, we want to do it again in 2023. 
We pray for it even now, that, Father, you would bless it. But, Father, there are many opportunities to shine light between now and then. And, Father, we ask, O oh Lord, that, Father, you will call us uh, closer and closer to yourself, that our reflection will be ever brighter. And we thank you, O oh Father, as we're thinking about as we're thinking about Thanksgiving and we're thinking about the coming, your coming, uh, to us in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us. Uh, we see here from Zechariah that you're redeeming us that we might serve you and reflect your glory and your light. Oh, Father, we pray, oh, Lord, continue to do this transforming work in our lives that this light uh, would go forth everywhere that we go, Lord, even in the the everyday mundane things of life, getting gas at the gas station or picking children up at the babysitter or whatever, wherever we might find ourselves in the gym. Or, uh, Father, we pray for your light to go forth, Lord. And we recognize the darkness, Lord, that our neighbors and so many folks are sitting in. And we also recognize, Lord, it doesn't take a lot of light to shine in those places. Father, cause your light to shine, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.